hearing of the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have entrusted your Word to us to be edified by it, to learn from it, to grow from it, to be able to speak it, Lord, to one another and to others outside of the faith. We thank you, Lord, that your Word truly is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you that as we are about to hear the word spoken. We ask, Lord, that it may please you to give liberty to the speaker and give ears to us, Lord, that hear the word, that we may be edified and that, Lord, you would be glorified. We ask, Lord, that you would speak. As Samuel long ago said, Speak, thy servant heareth, waiting for thy gracious word, longing to hear thy voice that cheereth. Master, let it now be heard. We ask these things, Father, giving you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Good afternoon. Happy Father's Day. I'm blessed to be able to talk today on Father's Day as well. And... Thank you to my children, some that are here, able to make it, and for the good, good things you gave me yesterday and uh, this week. Appreciate that. As a matter of fact, that's what I want to start out with saying that Father's Day, usually, we receive presents, right? We receive many good things. Look forward to good, good, a good Father's Day from those around us that are our families. But I wanted to discuss today... He heard me. I asked him to make sure it was good and loud today, so Gavin was taking my back there. But um, to say that we, we fathers receive presents, but I want to do is have us consider today that our Heavenly Father has given us, instead of him receiving presents, he's given us a present, a great present. But it's one you may not consider so often, but it's, it's, it's really been a blessing to me, this study that has really been going over for the last maybe a year or so. And that is, that is what's behind me. The kingdom of God. The kingdom is come. Now, what do I mean by that? You might get a little nervous about that. But we're going to look at this in the Bible. Maybe it's an area of the scripture you're understanding you've not ever seen. You know, sometimes things have to be, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. So I wanted to share with you today, what is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? And oftentimes I would think of the kingdom of God as when I die. And you know, that's... That's normal, right? I think that the kingdom of God is I live here on the earth, and I, you know, it's a it's hard life that we live. The Holy Spirit's with us, but it's a, it's a tough life, and we're waiting to die so we can go to heaven and be in the kingdom of God. But what if I were to tell you in the scripture were to tell you today that the kingdom of God is here now? It's here in seed form, yes. It's, it's here in a way that men don't see outside of the Lord, but we see... We've been given eyes to see, and the this kingdom of God has been established. But there is a finality, obviously, coming. The fullness of the kingdom of God will be when the Lord Jesus returns, when his kingdom, you know, we go through the times of judgment, the resurrection we know, and then the, you know, when we're, there's the new heavens and the new earth, the final kingdom, marriage, supper, of the Lamb, and beyond that. But for right now, I want to give you excitement to know that, that you can trust that everything in your life right now is for the kingdom now. And God sees now, we talk about the sovereignty of God, it's kind of the same thing, that we believe the Lord is with us. But I want you to see that the kingdom of God dominates the earth today. 
Although we might be afraid, or the enemy tells us that we're so small and so few in the land, and it seems like even the world's getting more and more anti-Christ, uh, so to speak. But the, the dominion of God is overpowering the world even as we speak, but we've been led to not see it, maybe. Or we've not been aware that it's so dominant. I'm going to show you how the scriptures tell us this. Matter of fact, one of the passages struck me the most. If you turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, if you would go back to Daniel chapter 2, if you want to look with me, but I'll, I'll read it too. Daniel's usually a book dispensationalists look at for the, the very end of the world. But there's a passage in here that talks us about an important time of history coming that we might overlook. I'm talking about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And if you go to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that he saw this dream you know, and it refers to the kings that were going to alive at the time Nebuchadnezzar and beyond him. And then it really gets interesting, too. He says, 31, chapter 2, Your majesty looked, and before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of baked clay. While you were watching, this is what I want you to focus on. While you're watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Talking about a kingdom. It struck the statue on its feet, and iron and clay, and smashed them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces, uh, and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the church. This is the kingdom of God coming. He's prophesying in the, day, in the days of these kings. And he's telling Nebuchadnezzar a prophecy about the church, basically about the kingdom of God that was coming within a certain, and Daniel we know these prophecies are a lot more fulfilled. He's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking about uh, the Medes and the Persians. He's talking about the, the Greek Empire. He's talking about the Roman Empire. You know all this, right? You've, you know how it goes. Most of you that that know a little bit of prophecy know what I'm talking about. But don't forget this rock that's cut without hands that we overlook. That was coming, and here's a fascinating part if you go down, verse 44. So he talks about the destruction of these different types of kingdoms. But he says here, this is what got me. In the days or the times of those kings. When's that? The days of the Greeks, the Romans, and beyond. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. We're not just talking about when we die and go to heaven now. We'll set up a kingdom that will never, this is, how can this not be anything but the church and, and Christ? He says, it will set up a kingdom that never be destroyed. The church can't be destroyed. The kingdom of God. No will it be left to another, meaning there's no inheritance of, of men, princes and fathers and kings and the lineages of men. It won't be left to another. It's done. The kingdom is, is it comes in its finished form. In other words, it's established. Who's leader? He says, no, it'll be left to another. There's no inheritance. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. The kingdom of God is going to endure forever. And it has. It is. He says, this is the meaning of the vision. The rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural kingdom. It's cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. Divine. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. He says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. 
This all happened in the time of Christ. When Christ was born. Not only that, but if you, if you talk about the history of the Old Testament, this is what, consider at least the things I was going to say, you might not fully agree with them all, but I'm going to throw them out to you anyway. The, 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 the time of Israel, the most important time of Israel, was at this time when they were exiled. Moses talked about how if they turned away and turned away and turned away, finally what was going to happen, they were going to be dispersed into the nations. This is what was going on. The nation of Israel as a people, as an earthly nation, is coming, was coming to an end. And really, even in the days of the exile, God knew this. It's no surprise to God. Because he was already looking forward to 500 years later, after the book of Malachi, 450 years later, the coming of the new covenant, the new kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, would come to begin rule and reign on the earth. And you've got a king, you've got a people, You've got a domain. What is the kingdom of God? It's anywhere where God has dominion and authority and his will is being done and his power is displayed. This is what we call the kingdom of God. And it's on earth in its beginning forms now. Um, And Daniel was repeating this to him. So when they came back, they said, well, they had another temple. That's right. But think about that temple. What was that temple like? Was it to, why did and I don't know all the details why God allowed this temple of Zorbel to be so small, so insignificant. But think about one curious, huge factor about this temple: where was the Ark of the Covenant gone? Why don't you think God cared about the Ark of the Covenant? Wouldn't that be what was the most important part of Israel's history? Their temple. What's the most important part of the temple? The Holy of Holies. What's the most important thing about the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant, it's gone. God does not care what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Its time is fulfilled. It did its job. When Israel came back in, they had the small temple. Even Jesus, when he looked at the temple of Herod or what was built onto this second temple, Jesus said, see all these things? Stone upon stone. There won't be one stone upon stone. And there was no Ark of the Covenant then. It was never found. And it even says in the Bible that the ark won't be redone. It won't be remade. So it's gone. And where was God? You'd think I would say, now the first thing you do when you come back from exile, get that ark of the covenant. The most important part of the temple piece was the ark of the covenant. It's gone. Because God knew that there was a future coming. Kingdom was going to be formed. So you had 400 years of silence, right, from Malachi. You know, from Malachi till the time of John the Baptist. And how does the book of Malachi end? It ends with a prediction of the prophet John, the Baptist coming, right? To prepare the way of the Lord. This is the beginning of this kingdom that was set up in the days of those kings. So the thing that gave me joy was, wow, this kingdom is now. But you say, but we don't see it. Well, we don't see it physically because it's a spiritual kingdom. Like Gary said, it's worship him in spirit and in truth. We, though, this is the odd thing about us as a human race that have been born from above, we still have the old flesh. So we still live in this world with this flesh, but our spirit has been born from above, and our souls will, of course, go on forever. So right now we're in a waiting, we're in a waiting spot for us. But the down payment has been made. The kingdom of heaven has taken root. The Holy Spirit has come. Now, the kingdom, though, is, I can say, it's a little different from just saying, well, it's just the church. No, they're two different things. The kingdom is the overarching domain of God within which the church exists. 
And one writer even said that he said the, the main theme of the entire Bible is the kingdom, which could be accurate to a degree because with, without the church, there's no kingdom. And, and without the kingdom, there can be no church. This is God's plan is to have a kingdom and to have his church and his people and his, you know, we as servants and his domain as king forever and ever. This rock kept without hands. What was it? It's hard to know. Nobody knows for sure. You could say, was the rock Jesus? We don't know perfectly. The mountain could represent Israel. Someone had said that uh, these, these different kingdoms, if you notice, they go from the precious metal to the weakest metal. It was kind of fascinating, as he said, goes from gold, you know, to silver, to bronze, to, to clay or to iron, and then to clay, and then to a rock. Was, was, was the prophet showing how this rock seemed to be insignificant? Because they said the Jews would have seen a rock of the Messianic Empire. One writer says here, <clears throat> this is a clear statement of Messianic hopes on the, of the Jews, a Messianic kingdom in Messianic times. When we look at the materials, it's inferior to all that had gone before, inferior even to fine-baked clay who form the toes of the image. And it appears inadequate to an ordinary Jew. To them, a rock would be the lowest of all. It's just a rock. But to us, it's this: the rock is cut out of the mountain. The mountain could represent Israel. Someone said that maybe this is representing Israel and the rock is the church cut out from the, uh, the rock, the mountain. It, it's hard to say. All I know is there is a kingdom and it's not, it's not made with hands. It has no end, and there's no inheritance to it. It's a, it's a supernatural divine kingdom. And it's going to destroy all the other world kingdoms without trouble. But it's not seen through the eyes of men. Um, he says here, uh, he says it, this seems to fit more, most naturally the Christian church. Um, he said the stone of the mountain grows and ceases not till it fills the earth, right? This is the church. The rock-built kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This suits the church of Christ, fitted and intended to fill the earth, and it has an unending duration. The world itself may end, but the church does not. It takes, it breaks the breaks in pieces and consumes all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. One writer said, this is the silent, disruptive influence of Christianity. We just won't go away. Right? The world just wants us to, the, the Bible wants God to go away. But it's always silent, it's always still disruptive, and it always will be. Because it's the dominant kingdom on the earth today. Can you, can you understand that? It's not Russia that God's concerned about, or, or China, or the Ukraine, or the United States, or aircraft carriers, or, or Paris, or, or Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos. That is not what's God's priority. His priority on the earth is his people. That is his kingdom. This is what dominates the earth, but we, the world does not see it. But we should see it. We should see this kingdom. It gives me hope. It gives me, my whole life is about the kingdom of God. Yours too. And, and of course, the Lord Christ, who has been given the, the ownership and the authority to be king and paid for his, his people and has a bride, and we know, we know all these things. Nebuchadnezzar was shown the growth of the kingdom, that it destroyed the nations. He got to see the beginning of the church through prophecy eyes. And again, we see even today uh, the book of Ezekiel and, and, Nehem, and uh, Jeremiah told us about the new covenant, the spiritual, the hearts of flesh. And we know when the, the church was born at the day of Pentecost, basically, but the kingdom had begun through the time of Christ. 
It's just a fascinating thing that sometimes is overlooked in the book of Daniel. Now I want to show you how the scriptures tell us themselves to make you think about this kingdom. In the book of Luke, which is really where the focus of the kingdom of God would be, in the book of of, uh, Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven because it was written to a primary Jewish audience. In the book of uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke, is called the kingdom of God because it's written to generally a Gentile or non-Jewish audience. But they're the same thing. The parables are all listed as the same. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. But Luke chapter 8, it tells us that when he preached, I, I sometimes we overlook this. The parable of the sower, it says, After this, Jesus traveled from town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of what? Of the kingdom of God. The good news, that's the word gospel. The gospel of Jesus coming to earth, that's part of it. The gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. And how did that show itself? It came upon the earth where it says that they were healing uh, those who were ill. Jesus even said to the disciples, if you go down chapter 8 and you look at verse 11, actually verse 10, Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. You see what he said there? To you, the secrets of the kingdom have been given. What's the secrets of the kingdom? He's talking about things to do with how God's going to operate through his son, how the son has come to earth, how he's going to establish his kingdom, how he is an anointed king. Psalm 2 tells us about this king, his, his anointed, that means his king. So Jesus is saying the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. That includes all that he was teaching, including his atonement, his death, his resurrection, suffering on the cross. All of that is included. If you go to chapter uh, 9 in verse 11, it tells us here that um, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. The kingdom brought healing. The kingdom came and showed itself through people being healed, raised from the dead, uh, miracles performed. These kinds of things were evidence of this kingdom already having its effect on the world. And being introduced to Israel. In chapter 11, in verse 20, Jesus talks about this when they, they were rebuking Jesus and said he cast out demons by Zebel, Beelzebul. He says, if I, in verse 20 of chapter 11, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then what does he say? The kingdom of God has come upon you. This kingdom is now what you're seeing happening, and it's going to dominate, and it, and it has dominated. Uh, in Luke chapter 17, just a few more chapters up, and this is a, some of these uh, statements you go over, and they you don't, not always understood, but listen to what he says here in verse uh, 20. Luke 17, verse 20. Once again, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So I guess they're referring to the end or the Romans being destroyed. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed or easily seen or struggling to see. He said, why? When people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Isn't that amazing? 
What he's saying is the kingdom of God is not something you're looking for, my Jewish brothers and sisters, he would have said to them. You're looking for the Romans to be destroyed. You're looking for an earthly kingdom. You're looking for the, even the, even the apostle said at the end, Lord, will the kingdom be restored to Israel at this time? They meant fleshly. They meant, will the Romans be destroyed and the pagans cast out and we'll have a new kingdom again with, with King David or whoever? They were thinking in wrong terms. The kingdom that Jesus was talking about that was predicted in the book of Daniel was the kingdom that we have today, 2,000 years later, silent and unseen by the world of men. But this is what takes faith. The kingdom of God dominating this earth takes all of your faith. To be, we, we do have that faith, but we have to just continually see the kingdom of God. The secrets of the kingdom. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 3, I thought it was interesting, many times he says, unless one is born from above, he can't enter the kingdom. He also says in John 3, 3, he says this, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That means what? Unless somebody is truly born again from the Spirit, they can't observe and see the kingdom on earth. We can't see it. But we can see it if we're born from above. But we're, maybe we're not taught to look, look for it. But it's dominating the earth today. Even though we see stock markets crashing and wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, and famines and, and, and presidents and premiers and kings threatening war. And it could be on the door. We could be on the doorstep of awful things near future but that's not the point because jesus said not a hair of your head shall perish he said they'll put you to death but not a hair of your head will perish because the kingdom of god is near you he says to them and shall be in you now the word there just can mean in your midst some take it to mean in the kingdom of god is within you right it, it we live in two kingdoms basically we live in a kingdom of the flesh of men and we live in the kingdom of god by the spirit so when he says it's in your midst he means it's coming to you it's near you, and that's why the Jews miss it. He said, the kingdom is near you. It's come near. These healings and miracles show the kingdom has come near, but you missed it. Like he was saying to them, one writer said, he was telling the Pharisees, the kingdom was under their noses, and they missed it. It was right there in front of them. Their own Messiah, their king of kings, was walking on the earth, healing the sick, which no man had raised the dead, walked water, everything. What more could he have done and they totally missed it. The king of, of kings, because his kingdom had no apparent power. He was crushed. He was destroyed, which was prophesied. He looked weak. We look weak. Paul says we're the least of all. The, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And what Paul says, not the great and the wise and the mighty were chosen or believed, but we who are his, his slaves. And that's another thing this writer pointed out. He said... You know, it goes from gold of Nebuchadnezzar to silver. It gets all the way down, even the, even below a, a potted clay we are. We're rocks. You know, we're the, we're the bottom of, of the, the totem pole as far as the world is concerned. But as far as God's concerned, you're the sons of God, the daughters of God. And the kingdom of God overrules all kings. And that's what we're a part of. Not just to go to heaven. But to live in the kingdom now, guaranteed. We have the spirit of God. He's a down payment. He's a, he's a promise. We have the promises of Jesus. We have eternal life, whether you die or not. And you will die in this body, but whenever that happens, it doesn't matter because 
Jesus said this too. He said, he said, whoever believes in me has passed, passed from death to life. He's the, uh, Ephesians 2, 6 says, we have been raised with Christ up into the heavenlies. Are we there? Am I raised with Christ right now in the heavenlies? I am in spirit. It's guaranteed. Your name, your citizenship is in heaven, it says. It's almost like we're at the train track. We're at the train depot. Have our uh, visas or have our, um, what do you call those when you go to foreign country? Passports. And the dates are set and the tickets are bought. You're just waiting for the train to come in. But while you're here, you can enjoy this world as well. And, and that's the good news. I'm not saying let's just wait till we die and go to heaven. I'm saying enjoy your life now and, and, and rejoice. Everything that you do is for the kingdom. Uh, our citizenship, we, uh, Gary said, pass from death to life, uh, raised with Christ. We, we find all these things to be true. There's a passage here I just want to read as well. And for, before I get to that, Michael, I was going to say, let me uh, unload your head up there. Good. Nothing just yet I was going to say. I wanted to just give you some example of the parables and how they refer to the kingdom of God now. The parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A man plant in his field, smallest of seed, seeds, it becomes the largest of garden plants, becomes a tree, all the birds come in nest. What's that reference to? Most likely the church. It's now. Kingdom of heaven is now. Uh, another parable of the leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and mixed in three measures of flour till it all was leavened. Leavening has an ability to spread through. The church spreads through the earth. The, the parable of the weeds, Jesus said. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. Kingdom now. Yes, kingdom in future too, but kingdom now. And he shows us actually both worlds. The field is the world we live in now. The good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. That's you. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. That's those who don't know him. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. He says he will weed out of his kingdom every thing that causes sin and all who practice lawlessness. His kingdom is now because he says he's going to take out of that kingdom before any, before any uh, finality here, the people in his kingdom that grow together, remember the tares and the wheat, grow together in the kingdom. The kingdom is the people of God. The, another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid all he had, went for joy, sold it and bought that field. That's your Christian life. That's salvation. The kingdom of heaven, like a merchant who, in search of fine pearls, which were very important to Jews, Jews uh, markets then saw pearls more important than even silver and sometimes gold, if it was the right pearl. And he, he found, he was in search of gold. When he found that precious pearl, he went away, sold all that he had, and bought it. And that was you and me when we got saved. We left all behind, bought that pearl, took it, and that's all we needed. And we live now in the kingdom of God with it as salvation. The kingdom of God is like a net that was cast in the good fish and the bad fish and on and on. The kingdom of God is referring to the now as well as the end and the final time. It's an interesting passage, Matthew 11. Jesus said this, and this is a strange passage. I think you'll agree. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. From the days of John the Baptist until now, 
right? So we have a time frame here. The time of John the Baptist till now, whether that was when Jesus was talking highly, probably not, probably they think it's referring to when it was written, when the gospel was written. In either way, it's a short period of time. But he's talking about this. He says, from the time, the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Violent people have been raiding it. And violent men take hold of it. That's a very hard passage. I can't tell you every, all that that means. I don't know if many can. But I can tell you one thing. It's saying there, the kingdom was established in the days of John the Baptist. And it, it's, there's violence all around it is all I can tell you. So it's either referring to people trying to take hold of it through, through violence by faith. Or it's talking about violent men coming against the church, this kingdom. And either way, it does say this, that from the days of John the Baptist till then... There's a kingdom, and there's violence surrounding it. It's a lie that it makes fights and it makes wars of souls, of me and you, or of men against it, however you want to see that. But from the days of John the Baptist, this kingdom came. And there was a passage I wanted us to read, and this would be, Michael, this would be Colossians 1, 11 and 13, if you have it. Colossians 1. And I'm going to go to it myself. So Jesus, and, and, and Gary actually quoted this verse a little bit and when he was uh, in the be- very beginning. It says this, Paul's thanks to the Colossians talks about the Father. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We are light. Then he says this, for he has rescued us. And this is verse t- uh, 13, I think, if it's up there. Verse, did he have verse 13? Yes. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This translation into the kingdom isn't just waiting for heaven. It's now. And, and it's an amazing uh, passage. I was going to use the term, uh, it's pregnant with imagery. And then I thought, is anybody here pregnant today and you just found out you're pregnant? <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I guess I wasn't speaking of prophecy there. Okay. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a strange way to say it, but it means, it means, it is. It's pregnant with imagery. And what it means is this says that God qualified us to share in the inheritance, the kingdom of light, which is not what we are, even though you say, well, I don't always feel like light. You don't always feel like light, but you are light. You've been made light. And you will remain light because of him. But he tells us this. He says, here's what happened to us. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This would be rescue. The word rescue there, we think, oh, it means deliver. It's a stronger word. It means to be taken out of a prison. So this is how we were in this world. We were in his prison, in the dominion of darkness, which means the authority of the evil one. And we've been rescued out, like we've been taken out of the jail cell by faith, by redemption, He says, and not only that, we've been taken away from the authority of the enemy, out of his kingdom, the darkness of his kingdom. And he says, and he brought us in the kingdom of the son he loves. So you're there now, spiritually. You're there guaranteed. So he says this, the the word brought, I don't know what that version said, transferred, and brought, it might say translated. You know what that word actually means? This was kind of ironic for today. It's to remove from one place to another. Josephus used it in the deportations of the Israelites by the Assyrian king. 
The Greek word in the Septuagint meant this word, to be deported. We have been deported. You imagine that? How ironic today. We talk about this all the time. We have been rescued out of this kingdom, and we've been deported, which is a nice thing to be deported for us. Because we've been deported into his kingdom. And that's where we are now. That's where our place is. That's where our citizenship is. Our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. These things are all done. So as a, as a person of God, son of God, daughter of God, you, it's ironic that you've been deported and brought into his kingdom. Very powerful passage. And then one of the last passages I was going to look at is um, it's Luke 12. Back to the Gospel of Luke And here's how Jesus kind of talks about it. He's talking in chapter 2 about not worrying and being anxious and worried about life. Remember, the birds of the air fed. uh, Luke 12 and going down to verse 31. And he says here, he's talking about not to worry about what you shall eat and drink, what you shall wear. These things are all known by God, right? Kingdom of God is established. He knows you. And he says... But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. I used to think that only meant when we die, his kingdom. That's true. It is true that it will be finalized. Again, it's very true that the kingdom will have a finality. But he's talking about even today. Seek his kingdom. See it. Believe it. Dwell in it. Have faith in it. Walk in it. Seek first that kingdom mindset. And that's when he says... Do not be afraid, verse 32, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We have it now. He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. And he says in verse 34, for where your treasures, there will your heart be also. What that means, we don't have to go sell all your possessions, literally. Some did in the book of Acts, obviously. But what he's saying is, in your mind, do not invest heart-wise in this world. Do not invest emotionally in this world. You, you have a life to live. You have a job to do. You earn your pay. You pay your bills. But that these are all part of the kingdom too. Eating your food is part of the kingdom. When I was in the military, my daughter's home from leave, from the army, it made me rethink about me being in the Air Force. And we used to always get angry because we'd have to do a million trainings and a billion things and we didn't want to go. And we'd, we'd joke to each other and say, it's for the mission, which meant it was bigger than you. It's for the mission, and you're bought. So in the military, you know, they wear these, these shirts that says property of U.S. Army or property of U.S. Air Force or whatever the, the service is because you are bought. You're, you're not yours anymore. You're bought with a price. Sounds like, right? The Lord. So now what I'd say is I get up and if some, I'm going to do something, I'd just say it's for the kingdom. Amen. So whatever you do, the Bible says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed... Eat your food, sit on your deck, go out and talk to somebody about the Lord, go to work, pay your bills, sleep at night. It's for the kingdom. Because you're already in the kingdom now by faith. It's been established, and it's here. But you have to remember that because if you look around you, you'll be like Peter and you start to sink into the water because you look away from the kingdom. So as of today, remember that you're a kingdom, that everything you do, it's in his name. It's, it's for his good, but for your blessing. No harm can come to you, Jesus said. Even if they kill you, 
he says, they can't harm a hair of your head. And it's interesting because he did identify with our sense of weakness because he said in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. And they say that's a double diminutive. It means little, 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 little. So uh, that, word, that word in the original that means flock means little flock. It means a tiny flock. So he's doubling it. He's saying, do not be afraid, little, little flock. You double littles. Because the Father has been pleased. It's his pleasure to give us the kingdom. And that, that reinforces in me, I didn't deserve this, obviously, right? I'm not worthy of this wonderful kingdom that he gives hates pleasure to give me. Well, how did I get that? How did I become part of that kingdom? Because he called you. He called you. He gave you faith. You came to him. You believed in him. You put your faith in his son. Jesus said, whoever has believed in me has passed, that's past tense, passed from death to life. Amen. So that, that's how we enter that kingdom. And, and so there, there we are that we're blessed and Paul even says in Romans fourteen seventeen, he says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, right? The kingdom of God, meaning life on this earth right now, you as believers in the kingdom. He says, life is not about eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's right now. That's today. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today that we remember the blessed gift you gave us with your Son included, your Holy Spirit, salvation, Lord. You gave us the pleasure, through your pleasure, the glory of the kingdom of God. That we are part of, Lord, that can never be taken away. It's a rock cut without hands. It will crush and has crushed all the kingdoms of the earth. Although we appear to be a little, little flock, that we have the chief shepherd, the good shepherd at our front who protects and guides. And even though, Lord, we pass through this earth with many tribulations, it says we cannot enter the kingdom except going through many tribulations. And, Lord, help us just have eyes of faith to see the kingdom, as Jesus said, that we might not be taken back by fear and anxieties, but store up treasure in heaven and also enjoy this life that you've given us up until the time we get to, to see you in, in our spirit and in, in eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name.